I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This will be fun because uh, the two of you working hard, making these YouTube videos outside of uh, the conversations that we're having on the podcast. And uh, I believe you guys sat down and made one while I was on the road in Toronto. And I actually didn't get a chance to, to watch it. So I can't, I'm coming into this conversation today with zero information I know that we're going to be talking about the Commonwealth Report, but I don't even know what the fuck that is. So I think I, which I think is good because, uh, because I'm sure there's probably some listeners out there who also don't know what the hell the Commonwealth Report is. Um, so for those folks, I would say when this recording is done, head on over to YouTube, check out the video that Taylor and Brian uh, worked hard at. You're going to be together. you're going to be going backwards in intelligence. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to get the you're going to get the smart uh, the smart take uh, with our friend Reggie here uh, now, and then and then you'll dumb yourself down by going to the YouTube and watching <laughs> yeah, the video. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if, if you guys want to set this up or or if uh, why don't you take yeah, it away, Tay? Because again, I'm I'm coming in totally blind here. Yeah. So we. This Brian and I, we, we were making these YouTube videos. We're sitting around we're, and we're kind of scouring the internet for for things to talk about and interesting things that are going on in the world of health and science. And uh, and I came across uh, this report, Reggie, uh, through a an article uh, that uh, was published on the Hill, and uh, I started taking a look through it and basically like ranking. Uh, 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 a, a number of different countries' healthcare systems, um, and and ranking them through it through a number of different categories. I think it was five categories, if I'm not mistaken. And 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 looking through and and the the, the, the eye catching thing about it was that the U.S. was last, um, and and in Canada and, wasn't much and Canada better. was basically <laughs> oh, right behind it. Yes, no, I did no, see no, this. Okay. Give yourselves a little bit more credit. You're closer <laughs> to the top than you are to the U.S. Right. Yes, that's right. Fair enough. That's right. Yeah. And uh, and and we went through it, and and really, what what it did for Brian and I was was brought up a lot of a lot of questions as to um, as to why that is, why a country uh, like the U.S. and like Canada, but but more so in particular the U.S. Um, the thing that stood stood out in the report was the amount of money that the U S spends on healthcare and yet has these, uh, has, has, you know, wildly poor outcomes in relation to a number of the other countries that are, uh, included in the report. Like, um, so there was like Switzerland, France, Australia, New Zealand, um, 
who else is included in the report there? The Netherlands. The Netherlands. There's a number of <laughs> number of uh, of like wealthy countries that were included in the report. Commonwealth countries, if oh. you will. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so I think Reggie, the first the first question that I want that, that I want to ask you is I want to get a, a little bit of background on what the Commonwealth Fund is. Mm. Yeah. So the the Commonwealth Fund is a charitable foundation that's based in the United States that really has focused on understanding how do you improve healthcare. Um, and it has a, a focus on trying to make healthcare better, more equitable for people in the, in the US. We've been around for over 100 years. And so part of our work started uh, really kind of internationally looking to say, well, what are other countries doing uh, to make their healthcare system so robust? We remain the only country uh, that was included in our report among high-income countries that doesn't have universal health care. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're constantly looking for ways to improve the, the fragmented system that we have here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, and in, is, the, is the report that you, is this a, the report that came out, is that a, is that something that you do, uh, that you do every year? Is it something that, that, that reoccurs every, every few years? How does that work? Yeah, so we, we've done the Mirror Mirror Report uh, a number of times. We do it about every three to four years um, after we collect survey data. Um, so we spend time surveying people across 11 different high-income countries. We have like a general population survey. We talk to older adults. We talk to primary care physicians. And then we get updates of international data from organizations like the World Health Organization and uh, the OECD. And so we take our survey uh, material plus things that have been collected by other international groups and then do our, our ranking and analysis work. Mm-hmm. One of the things that stood out in the report until you mentioned this already is that, that countries are ranked under, uh, against these five categories. Um, can you walk us through what those five categories are? And I know that in the YouTube video, we were um, looking at these categories and we had some questions on, on what they actually mean. So one, for example, was access to care, mm-hmm. but we actually weren't a hundred percent sure on what that actually meant. So if you could break them down for us, that would, uh, that'd be really cool. You did not read the 11 pages of our appendix to explain this? <laughs> we, 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 we went through, we went we through like, how to read. Like, we read headlines. like we said, we gave the, we gave the average Joe version of this. <laughs> and now, now we're, now we're getting into the intelligence stuff. Okay. Okay. So we have five areas. You're definitely right. We focus on five areas. The first is access to care. And when we think about access, we really think about two dimensions to that, affordability and timeliness. Then we have a bucket, second bucket called care process. And so this is how is care delivered? This includes things like preventative care. um, Is the care safe? Is there kind of care coordination taking place? Um, is there an opportunity for patients themselves to engage in the care process? Mm. Three, administrative efficiency. Four, equity. And our concept of equity is fo- in this report focuses on income equity. So we look at the differences between low-income and high-income people and their experience in healthcare. Mm. And then uh, finally, uh, an area that I think is pretty important, it's all what we kind of try to focus on at the end of the day, healthcare outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your mortality, your morbidity, um, how do people ultimately experience um, life and care? Mm-hmm. I guess uh, we, we should have said this off the top. But the reason we're speaking to you, Reggie, is that you are the vice president of the Commonwealth Fund's International Health Policy and Practice Innovations Program. 
Um, what what does that role entail for you? Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, we, we really try to understand how other countries are experiencing health and healthcare, and try to bring those learnings to the U.S. And so we do that in a few different ways. One, the surveys and the benchmarking work that you see here presented in Mirror Mirror. But we also have a fellowship program where we bring mid-career professionals uh, from all across the world to the U.S. for one year to do some comparative healthcare research. Mm. And so, you know, one area where we might be spending a lot of time and say is mental health. And mm. so we have some researchers that are coming to the U.S. to do comparison work between their experience in their home country and with what's going on in the U.S. And then we like to bring people together. Um, we have, uh, sounds really, really fancy, international symposia uh, to talk about <laughs> a great uh, word. <laughs> these important things. Uh, it's really just an excuse for a whole bunch of really smart people to get together with some policymakers and try to talk through healthcare issues. Do you have so, to wear a tuxedo at the symposia? <laughs> um, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I am adding to the, the flavor of that we can, we can go without ties now. I guess I, one of the things that I am, I'm kind of curious about, you laid out the five, um, the five indicators um, in the report, access to care, care process, administrative efficiency, equity and health care outcomes. Um, what was out of, out of all five of those, where did the U S stack up in terms of like, where are they, where, where are they suffering the most out of those five? And then, and then the, the second part question there is where is the U S doing the best? Reggie, I, I can quickly jump in because I, I, I read your, your work and oh, wow. uh, I, I know that they're pretty bad. The U.S. is last in all of them except care process in which they are uh. fifth. Brian, your ego, your <laughs> ego just jumped just, right oh, in front no. of that question. I just wanted to prove to Reggie that I, uh, that I read more <laughs> than just the headlines. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, you know, that's exactly it. Um, you know, we, we, we do well in care process, right? Um, th that's a place where the United States has the uh, ability to really put focus and effort. When you think about some of those measures that I mentioned, uh, preventative care or the use of tech of, of health information technology, um, uh, activities focused on patient engagement. Um, those are places where there has been concerted focus in the U.S. There have been incentives <laughs> put in place for hospitals, health systems, providers and all. To, to really focus on, on doing better. I mean, you know, preventative screenings, um, um, that's something that we, we are very good at in the United States. Mm. Um, but we're not as great as kind of dealing with chronic disease management or mm. um, making sure that care is affordable uh, for people. Right. And that's where we really, really suffer. Now, one of the, the there was two uh, the the thing that the thing that stuck, really stuck out to me, and I mentioned this a little earlier, was the amount of money that the that the United States states spends on healthcare, and yet has you know these pretty uh, poor outcomes in a lot of the in a lot of the categories. And there's two graphs that are on the on the report, which um, the the link there is on our YouTube channel. We'll also link to uh, the report in uh, in the show notes for this episode for like wherever you're listening to this as a podcast. Um, and they're 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 right beside each other on the uh, on the page. Uh, one is Exhibit Three: Healthcare spending as a percentage of GDP, and then the other is healthcare system performance compared to spending. And you get on this first on this first one, first one as a, the healthcare spending as a percentage of GDP. 
you see that from 1980, 1980 is really the only year in which the U.S. is really spending a comparative amount on healthcare um, uh, to the other countries. And you just get this massive separation from 1980 up till 2019 when the, 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 this data was collected. And you, it's just this wild amount of money. I think that we, we did a, uh, we, we, uh, we did a, um, a calculation as to what it was. It was three and a half trillion dollars, uh, in 2019, uh, 17, uh, roughly just under 17% of GDP. Um, how is it that that like from where you do your research search from where is the what are the breakdowns in the healthcare system and process in the US that allows so much money to be spent with uh with with poor outcomes mm-hmm. so you know i look at it overall and say like okay 17% of gdp if that is what you want to spend on um health and healthcare in a country, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a wonderful amount of money to be spending kind of, mm-hmm. you know, help ensuring that people have uh, healthy and thriving lives. Um, I think we have some issues with how that money is, is actually allocated from a, from a dollar standpoint. And so we have to deal with things like high prices. Um, we funded research over the years at the Commonwealth Fund that has just shown that the U.S. pays more for healthcare services. So the same service that is in Canada, the same service that's in Germany, the same service in the US, the US always tends to be much higher from just a sheer price standpoint. The second is with something that's brought up a lot in the report, which is this whole administrative complexity of administering care in the United States. Um, we have many intermediaries. Um, we have people that sit in doctor's offices and it's their job to understand coding and billing issues. There are many different rate cards depending on who is paying. And so with all that complexity, it really kind of gets in the way of care. Hmm. I mean, it's so complex that the U.S. is one of the only countries that has uh, a workforce called patient navigators that actually kind of sit with patients and like help them decipher this. Wow. Um, so it's. Um, the, the administrative complexity uh, is just so high. Is, so, that, I mean, is that a result of the system being a, a private-based uh, system? Um, I, I noticed that like the, the U.S. was the, I believe the only country in, out of the 11 that has a, a private healthcare system. Um, is that true? Well, so other countries have a mix of public and private. Um, uh, the Netherlands is a great example. Um, you see that uh, in, in Australia. Uh, there, there's even on, uh, a mix in Germany. So, like in many of the countries that are a part of our analysis, you have a mix of public and private. Mm-hmm. What you don't necessarily have um, in the U.S. is uh, the regulation of prices. And so, um, Outside of like the Medicare program, which has a very defined kind of fee schedule for what they pay for, um, it can be all over the board um, and, and with different insurance companies and in different locales. And so what you see in other countries is a real kind of desire to set at least a, some sort of baseline price and have it administered in such a way that uh, creates some predictability and uh, uh, affordability overall on what they spend on that healthcare. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I know that I know that private versus public 
uh, healthcare, that conversation can like really easily stray into a into a political a political realm, which like isn't really our our lane. But like the two things do cross over, obviously, and like in from a from the from a from I guess a little bit of a political lens, usually usually or at least the argument that we hear um, here in Canada from the U.S. in terms of the uh, the pros of having this private healthcare system um, is that the it 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 brings capitalism into the healthcare system, which creates competition, which uh, keeps prices down. That's that's sort of like the narrative, mm. but then. In reality, obviously, we're that that isn't that isn't the case. Is there what kind of um, and you mentioned earlier, you bring people in from other countries, from other healthcare systems to collaborate on, you know, things that you can bring in. What is your or maybe the organization Commonwealth um, Funds stance on private uh, on like fully private healthcare systems versus public or um, or or a hybrid model? Yeah, so. You know, we we don't necessarily take a position on on public versus private. You know, and and I think that's it's it's a little misplaced to kind of focus on that mm. because it, it's really in how the the healthcare system is incentivized. How do we pay people? Um, and 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 what do we value as a kind of society um, from what we want from healthcare? Um, and you know there. We have anecdotal, you know, and, and good evidence that shows us that, you know, the U.S. does kind of very well when it comes to innovation or um, uh, adopting uh, new technologies and meeting the acute needs of people if they're, um, you know, experiencing uh, some sort of cardiac condition or you're dealing with cancer care or and things like that. And so there, there's a lot of, I think, good that comes from our system. Mm-hmm. And, and and when you look at the history of all other countries that have achieved universal healthcare coverage, you start to see um, that they kind of they found their own way, right? Some mm-hmm. countries it it spread it spread from kind of province to province. Others it was covering certain populations over time. Others it was taking uh, the activity that was happening in the private sector and creating a. a kind of a regulatory umbrella to bring them all together so that benefits were common uh, and available to all people so that the prices and uh, uh, the way services were actually charged to individuals was the same and uniform and that people had that that general and kind of basic access to the things like primary care um, which we have not um, invested in in the same way in the United States and so we have this opportunity right now, um, as we start to reflect because of the experience of the pandemic, to think about how do we actually expand health insurance access? We have the mm-hmm. Affordable Care Act, which builds on the private sector. We have the Medicare program that has a long history of serving the needs of older adults and people with disabilities in the US that has the opportunity to expand. We have our state-based program, um, Medicaid. And so through that kind of patchwork, you can really easily see that incremental uh, development of uh, of universal coverage, but it takes getting that employer-sponsored insurance, the government-regulated insurance, and the individual market from the Affordable Care Act, your Medicare program, your Medicaid programs, all kind of working in sync. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a very incremental approach. 
Are vegans actually unhealthy? Does cannabis ruin your sleep? And why are so many men taking testosterone supplements? I'm Mitch. And I'm Greg. And we're the creators of the popular YouTube channel, ASAP Science. Every week on our podcast, Side Note by ASAP Science, we explain the science behind a controversial subject with recent research, up-to-date studies, and ridiculous stories so you are entertained while, bam, simultaneously learning. We're here to make science make sense. Download Side Note by ASAP Science wherever you got your podcasts the um um the pandemic uh you mentioned that just now like the the pandemic obviously has uh has you know kind of shone a light on healthcare systems all over the world um in a really big way and uh and you can see the light coming through a lot of the holes uh that are in those healthcare systems what are some of the things um, you know, whether it's in the U S or whether it's in, you know, any other, any other, the countries that are in this, uh, report or any, or any, like, what are some of the, here's, here's a, here's a good way of phrasing this, I guess. What, what are some of the really good things that have come, uh, that, that have sort of come up in the past 18 months of this pandemic coming up? Like what kind of things have been really great, um, from a healthcare system perspective? Um, and, and what are some of the things that have like really, uh, shown that there needs to be a lot of work done? So I, I think, you know, one, I think just the, the positive receptivity that like the general everyday average person has and respect they have for healthcare uh, frontline workers and mm. those that are in the hospitals, that are in the pharmacies, that are working kind of on a day-to-day basis in the long-term care facilities, um, recognizing that that is a very important workforce that we need to support, grow, and develop. I think that, that's something that has definitely come from the pandemic. Um, the, the second, um, and this kind of comes through from our report, is the importance of primary care. If you have a regular source of care over time, one that helps manage kind of chronic conditions. Um, and so uh, that's important. If you think about uh, cardiovascular care, uh, diabetes, obesity, things that can be managed and addressed over time, being able to do that through primary care has been particularly important. Countries that don't have a strong primary care system have populations that have not fared as well. Um, and that's something that we have seen here. And then on the flip side of that, um, countries that have had strong primary care have been able to really kind of push the vaccination message. We've done some research that shows that for people in the United States that have been slow to get the vaccine, um, if they had an opportunity to sit and kind of talk to their doctor or a doctor, um, they would feel more confident in making that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and if you don't have that, uh, that strong backbone, you just can't do that. I mean, mm-hmm. you, the UK is a great example. They use their primary care network to really get uh, vaccination out to, to the majority of uh, people and doing it really fast. Mm-hmm. So those those are some of the things that kind of uh, come to mind uh, when I when I when I think about this. I think the final thing I'll just say is um, I think the pandemic has taught us the value of virtual care, mm. uh, telehealth, uh, digital health, um, in that we can do a lot of things um, asynchronously, uh, and we don't have to do them face to face, and uh, it, it's ultimately a, a good thing. Yeah. Um, I hope that that's something we can sustain over, over the long term. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that's also one of those things that like not not just in healthcare, but like that was one thing that was realized in fuck pretty much every sector of yeah. every sector of every <laughs> workforce. It was like, you know, this is this is a way of life that actually is 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 valuable and and works well when yeah. done well. Um, uh, I would love to I would love to take a moment to throw to a couple of uh, questions from our patrons. So uh, we have a, a lovely um, Patreon community um, that has a very, uh, very active and curious uh, um, uh, Discord Discord of uh, conversations happening over on our Discord. And, and they know when we're speaking to certain guests and we've had a couple of questions come in from our patrons that they wanted to ask you, Reggie. Uh, the first one I'll, I'll go with is from Stina. She asks, um, in relation to access to care, how can Canada improve access to care? Oh, so for, for Canada to improve access to care, um, I, I think uh, th- there's an opportunity to really think about um, kind of two things, the affordability and timeliness. Um, although Canadians don't have to pay out of pocket for a lot of care um, that they receive, mm. um, you know, Canada score pretty poorly because of its lack of universal dental coverage and prescription drug coverage. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that is a, a uh, one area that you could focus on uh, uh, an opportunity for improvement. Mm-hmm. And then on the, the timeliness piece, I think, you know, Canada was also hurt by um, long waits for specialists. Definitely. Um, yeah. <laughs> particularly as it t- relates to, uh, you know, undergoing elective surgery or mm-hmm. um, care in an emergency room uh, among some of the different measures that, that we looked mm-hmm. at. So, yeah. I, I think those are two places. I mean, I think of I think of a lot of the guests that we've had on the podcast who, and when you spoke about um, the U.S. being great at adopting technologies and innovating around healthcare, um, we've seen a lot of you know cancer patients who have had to go to the United States to get yeah. sort of cutting edge you know stem cell transplants and therapies like that that might not be either they're not available in Canada because there's not enough to go around to the people who need it. Or um, or the, we're not doing those things yeah. yet here, and just yeah. not approved yeah. treatment or not, or the not, or the wait times are just v- yeah. right wildly yeah. wildly I mean, different. Like wait time, like timeliness in in Canada is. I, I think I think if you asked if you asked any Canadian about our healthcare system, and you prob- and you asked what's the number one problem with with our healthcare, I think I think Time everyone wait would say times. wait. Time. Everyone would mm-hmm. say wait time. If you go to an emergency room, in you know certainly here in Halifax, and I think most places around the country. You are going to go into an emergency room that, unless by some it's some miracle that you know yeah. no one was out getting hurt or getting sick, <laughs> you're going to wait three, four, five hours in a, yeah. in a an emergency room. But then, you know, that's on like the very like very public facing, you know, immediate. I go to the hospital and I have to wait. Uh, I have, for example, if it's not if it's not if it's not urgent, if it's not the most like urgent thing possible, if you, you've just got something that you want, like you said, an elective, some type of elective surgery. Something that's, you know, it's not harming your health on a daily basis. I have a, I have this, is, and some of our, some of our listeners know this, and this, this will be fun, a fun, oh, no. fun, fun fact oh, for no. you, Reggie. Don't talk about I this. have a, I have a second toenail oh, on my <laughs> left big toe. Yeah. And I brought this to my, to my family doctor a year and a half ago. 
and I and he dropped you. He was like, "That is so <laughs> nasty. I'm fucking out." Uh, to be fair, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad you I talked about. To, I don't want to touch it. I'm glad you talked about the second toenail and not the other growth that you have going on. But. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And then, and then so I won't know. I would never talk about that on the podcast. Um, and then, uh, and so, and so, I I had a doctor's appointment recently, and I and I I just said, "Hey, what's the um, what's the deal with the second toenail appointment that I have with the specialist?" And yeah, can my, I donate this any anytime soon? And my yeah. family doctor, my family doctor, it had been so long that my family doctor was like, hold on, let me go like look at your chart to, to revisit what this even is because I don't even remember you talking to me about it. And then followed up with the clinic and like, yes, indeed, I'm still on this list for, You're in the queue. <laughs> to be, to be seen by a specialist about that. And it's been almost two years. Yeah. So just like the, 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 you know, if it's not, if it's not going to kill you, you're you're waiting so long that you might just forget that it's even a problem. And sometimes well, let's, even let's, if it is going to kill you. Yeah, let's hope that that toenail starts to cause some much more severe problems for you so you can get to <laughs> push up in line real quick. Uh, the, the next uh, Patreon question we have was from uh, Roisin. Uh, she asked, in your opinion, Reggie, what country has the best model and why? Oh, that's really easy. Uh, no country has the best model. Ah, <laughs> you know, like I, I mean, it's not, I, I think we all like to sit and like you know we do these rankings and we do this analysis and say, oh, if we just had X Y Z, it would be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, each country has its own uh, pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. What what I will say is, countries that have really invested in their primary care systems, who have ensured that care is affordable. Um, are, are some of your, your, your leading countries. And we see that kind of rise to the top of, of the countries that perform well, like the Netherlands, Norway, um, Australia, UK. Um, countries that have made those investments um, tend to, tend to uh, perform better. Mm. Yeah, I, I really like that. I really like that answer because I feel like it is in Brian and I, I. Brian and I did this in the uh, in the video. A you suggested bit. buying Norway for the United States. And yeah, well, just I mean, I was, it, in in slight <laughs> in slight jest, but but it is very easy to think. You know, if we just carbon copy, uh, you know, so and X X countries' uh, healthcare system and and put it in our in our country, then that will be better. But then I sort of reminds me of um, I took a course in uh, I took a course at school uh, in high school that was. Uh, um, it was uh, it was history of uh, first semester was history the history of uh, the Middle East and, f- and second semester was history of Africa and focused on like a handful of countries in each semester and the broad overarching uh, overarching um, uh, topic was how was how uh, like Western democracies try to just like carbon copy onto a lot of these countries that you know might have insta- uh, uh, instability in their governments or whatever it might be. And that if we just if we just put like our system on theirs, then that will just fix the problem, and they'll be better, and they'll be the they'll be better countries. And mm. and it, and it was basically saying, you know, if you're going to if you have a an African country, for example, that has uh, that has you know X Y issues, it needs an African solution for an African problem, not a U.S. Mm. solution for 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 an African nation's problem. Mm. So look like, at Afghanistan, right? Mm. Exactly. Mm. So like. 
I think it's really important for us to to do exactly like what you just said, Reggie, is that there is no perfect system. And if you take a country system that we think works really well, like some, you know, Scandinavia just stands out to me all the time, um, <laughs> that if you just take that and you carbon copy it, well, like we don't have the same population. We don't have the same, we don't have the same beliefs and, and value system yeah. uh, as people. Yeah. So like that, that might, you know, that's not just going to slot in and work perfectly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really, um, that's really taken for granted. The, the cultural context in which um, healthcare and other social services are developed and brought forward in different countries um, really needs to be understood. Um, you know, and, and you can kind of see it right now. Like, uh, you look at uh, COVID-19 and uh, the experience of New Zealand and Australia, right? They, they have really um, taken almost like this, this kind of zero COVID approach. Um, and that's something that is kind of accepted by and large uh, by people in society. Um, and you have to, you give up certain, you know, personal freedoms to allow yeah. that to happen. Yeah. Um, and you just don't necessarily have that in every country. There are yeah. also island countries, right? So kind of easier to close the border than mm-hmm. say like a country in the middle of Europe. Right. Um, and, and, and so having an understanding of the, the, the culture, the history, the context in which uh, these, these policies have developed um, in the different countries is just so important mm-hmm. um, because, you know, in no country has there been like this like magic wand where they said, okay, um, we're going to go do, uh, you know, what another country has done. Mm. Yeah. Reggie, um, I, I got to ask, how, how does one find oneself in the position as the vice president of the Commonwealth Fund's International Health Policy and, and Practice Innovations Program? <laughs> um, I mean, my, my, my history in coming to this work starts with the kind of studying the issue of bioethics. And so I, I really wanted to understand how care was delivered and why uh, we make decisions in healthcare and how we make those decisions, what motivates those decisions. Hmm. And then I, I, after studying that academically, I came to DC and just immersed myself in, in policy issues. Hmm. And um, what has been really kind of fascinating about, I think, the, the, the times that we're in in US healthcare policy is that about every two to three years, there's been a major policy development. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's uh, fundamentally changing the Medicare program, our older adults uh, health insurance program by adding prescription drugs to uh, doing things like really um, investing in quality improvement and evidence-based medicine to the Affordable Care Act. And now we're kind of in this space um, of kind of during and post-pandemic where I think there's just this more opportunity to continue to work on healthcare. And the Commonwealth Fund is a unique organization that really um, takes time to, to study, uh, in this case, the international program, how other countries do things. Or, you know, we have programs that are focused exclusively on issues of uh, inequity and, and racial equity. We have mm-hmm. a, fo- a program that's focused on understanding the needs of older adults, understanding the needs of, of lower income individuals, on understanding how hospitals and, and providers um, do their work. Um, mm-hmm. And do, all of this happens within a policy context. And so um, I kind of found my way to this work after uh, the, the person who had run the program for over 20 years uh, retired. And, uh, they found me when I was doing some consulting work. Mm-hmm. That's, re- 
<laughs> that's re- that's really cool. And I I I like the way that you described um, earlier this sort of patchwork approach to um, getting to universal care, specifically in the United States. And and uh, I can really visualize like the sort of gaps in um, access to universal care in the United States, sort of narrowing. Um, but what do you think is the next biggest uh, policy breakthrough in the United States to get closer to um, creating more equitable access to care uh, in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 really building on the investments that have been um, made around the Affordable Care Act. The creation of this of our individual marketplace, the expansion of our Medicaid program, our state-based program that targets uh, people with lower incomes, building out on those programs um, really can um, get us to to universal coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think the important part about these programs is that they are targeting um, people in the greatest kind of financial need. And and so if we make uh, the subsidies more generous so that individuals can buy their own insurance, or we expand uh, the number of people that um, would potentially qualify for state Medicaid, um, you know, we can definitely kind of get to, to, to universal coverage because we have mm-hmm. a strong employer-based insurance system. Our program for the uh, older adults and people with disabilities, Medicare is pretty robust. You can see you know, tinkering on the edges with, with both of those to make those more, more uh, robust. But there's this real kind of incremental path forward uh, that we could take to to expand coverage mm-hmm. from so, from a from a bit of a from from a bit of a historical uh, perspective, and you know, you saying that you um, you came from bioethics and and came to DC and got immersed in policy. What like what has been like? Can, what's can you quantify the impact of the Affordable Care Act? And for everybody who's listening, the Affordable Care for if you don't know what the Affordable Care Act is, it is like. It, that's the actual policy name for Obama, Obamacare for, for for anybody who knows it more colloquially as Obamacare. Um, what, what what was that impact like? Because from our perspective in Canada, it seemed like it was like the first domino for uh, or a big domino in for the U.S. to sort of work its way towards a uh, a universal healthcare system. Yeah, I mean, really, kind of shoring up and transforming kind of the individual market. Um, you know, so the average everyday person can now go buy insurance. You know that you're going to get high quality insurance um, that's going to cover a lot of needs. Um, it's going to be, uh, I'll put this in air quotes, like somewhat affordable. Mm. Um, uh, it's definitely going to be more affordable than it, it would have been kind of pre-Affordable Care Act. Um, so I think the Affordable Care Act is it can be viewed as a as a down payment on trying to achieve uh, universal uh, health coverage in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I like that framed that way as universal coverage too, rather than like universal health care. Because I think of um, I I used to live in in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, and everybody there has universal healthcare coverage um, because it's mandatory for employers to provide uh, employees with health insurance and you can't be there as a non-resident without a working visa. So therefore everybody's covered and, and then the residents have access to care. So 
it works really well. It's a private healthcare system, but everybody has access to it. And, um, you know, politics aside, I think that that's what is at the heart of this is what is, as what's most important is that everybody has access, equal access, uh, to healthcare. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, Reggie, it was, uh, it was really great to, uh, it was really great to chat with you and run through this because obviously when we went through the report and we're going, Oh, I wonder, Oh, I wonder what that means. Um, we were just sat there speculating and speculating and hypothesizing, which is really our strong suit. I mean, we're really good at hypothesizing and speculating. Um, but to like shed some light on, uh, on this and also, and also seeing it and, and from the Canadian perspective, I, and we mentioned this in the video, like, you know, you see the headline, you know, us dead last. And you're like, you're like, oh, of course, like the US dead last. Like, oh my God, I bet Canada is so much better. And then you open up the report and Canada's like, Canada's holding hands. Second last. Canada's <laughs> second last on basically, yeah. on basically everything. And realizing that, you know, I, I feel like as Canadians, we, we view our healthcare system on many levels as, as, as superior to the, to the US. And it's, and, and we, we just, we have also a ton of issues that we need to resolve. Um, and, uh, and, and working towards that and getting that message out there that, um, that we, we have a lot of work to do and the US has a lot of work to do and we basically do. everyone does. Um, and, uh, and I think that the, the report that you guys put out really, uh, really sheds a light on that and allows us to see that in like really in, in quite, in quite like simple and digestible ways. Like the way that you just present the report is really, uh, mm. is really accessible. So, um, thank you for, for being a part of that and doing that. And, uh, it was, it was uh, really a pleasure to pick your brain today. Yeah. Uh, nice to, to chat with you. And like I said before, you know, Canada's closer to the top than they are to, 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 to the bottom. I mean, th this is like really nerdy and like probably something we don't even want to talk about, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Nerd out. We, we had to change the way we did the statistics with this report where we had to take the United States out of the calculation of the performance scores. And so when you, when you look at Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Sweden, Switzerland, UK, you do all that. We had to do all that data analysis together and keep the United States away because we were so much of an outlier. Wow. So oh, wow. this all goes to say you're closer to the top than you are to the bottom. Wow. Right uh, well, Reggie, thanks a lot, man. This, this really does mean a lot. And uh, it was truly a pleasure to sit down and chat with you. Oh, nice to talk with you as well. that is it for today thank you so much everybody for tuning in if you like what you heard make sure that you share our podcast with your friends we love those extra ears sick boy podcast is a snack labs production it is produced by myself jeremy saunders taylor mcgilvery brian stever and lauren sankey sound design is coming to you from donovan the meerkat morgan the music of the show is from our friend rich o'coin and Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.